Welcome to Authors Matters, a podcast from the Authors Licensing and Collecting Society. I'm Caroline Sanderson, and I'm a writer and books journalist. In this episode of Authors Matters, we talk to Daniel Hahn. Daniel's eclectic career encompasses the writing of books both for adults and children, editing, his credits here include the Oxford Companion to Children's Literature, reviewing, and the translation of books from the Portuguese, Spanish and French. Daniel's work has won him the Independent Foreign Fiction Prize, the International Dublin Literary Award and the Blue Peter Award, among others. He's a past chair of both the Society of Authors and the Translators Association. And in 2020, he was awarded an OBE for services to literature. Daniel, welcome to Authors Matters. Um, We're going to focus our discussion on your work as a translator, though you have many other strings to your bow, as I've just mentioned. So I read in an interview that you didn't set out to be a translator. So what happened? I didn't set out to be a translator. And I think that's true about many people who became translators until relatively recently. Most of my friends who started, you know, 10, 15 years ago, as I did, kind of stumbled into it accidentally and then found themselves sufficiently enmeshed that they couldn't get out again. Um, I happened to have a couple of languages because my parents both grew up with different languages. And I um, was asked sort of randomly by a friend who was a publisher if I would translate a book for her uh, many years ago now. And I said sort of, yes, why not? Because how hard can it be? And it sounded quite fun. Um, And I did it and it was quite fun and I wasn't terrible at it. And um, I was asked to do a second one, and now it's 50, 60-something books later. And here, to my great surprise, I still am. So I was recently sent a proof of the English translation um, of a popular science book by Brazilian neuroscientist Siddhartha Ribeiro, and it's called The Oracle of Night, The History and Science of Dreams. And when I opened it, I saw that um, it was you, the translator um, from, the, from the Portuguese. And it's a really enthralling book, but it also packs a very complex web of information about our dreams. And it's absolutely fascinating. It's nearly 400 pages long. And I found myself wondering how long a translation like that might take you. Well, that was a curious one because, um, as you say, it's about dreams and it's very wide ranging. It covers dreams in literature, it covers a bit of anthropology, it covers psychology, it covers quite a lot of neuroscience. And about because it's so wide ranging, the kind of approaches are so wide ranging, it meant that about half of the chapters were really easy for me because they were kind of, I was on familiar ground. You know, my parents are both psychoanalysts, so I know I know that bit ah, and I know right. the, the, yes. the literary bits and stuff. And then there were bits which were which were about neuroscience, which were slower and more difficult and required more research, but in some ways also more interesting for me because those are the chapters where I learned something. I mean, I had the the advantage of an author who was incredibly helpful and incredibly sort of um, available to me. Um, But I I, I suspect I spent, you know, about 10% of the time on half of the book and 90% of the time on trying to understand what on earth neuroscience is and how things work and what these diagrams mean. It's not a a technical book. It's a book for for lay readers, but... um, you really have to understand, even if it's only for the, the five minutes when you're working on it, you really have to understand what it what is doing um, while you're rewriting it in another language. That really struck me when I was reading it, you know, um, just how sort of, you know, how, how tricky a lot of it must have been. 
And and I've read also completely fascinatingly to me that you don't read a book before you start to translate it. I suppose I'd somehow imagined that you'd, you'd you know you'd kind of read the whole thing and then think, or oh, and then I'll make a start. But I guess it's the sort of balance between the care that you take to best convey the author's words and sort of capturing the spirit of of the whole. And you you said in an interview, I'm not an anxious perfectionist. I translate quite quickly and quite casually. Yeah, I think I, I think I stand by that. I mean, I keep discovering things I've said in interviews in the past and thought, my God, could I possibly have meant that? I think I still believe that. Mm. Um, I, 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 there are a lot of translators who read books before uh, they start translating them, who do a lot of planning, who do the research and those kinds of things. And only when they're kind of fully ready will they sit down and do the work. And I'm one of those people who, partly I think because I'm impatient um, and possibly because I'm lazy, though I don't say that to publishers um i do love kind of throwing myself in not really knowing what's coming i think you know what whatever happens when you're translating a book you're going to read it half a dozen times you're going to read it again and again and proofs and more proofs and edits and whatever um and so there's no chance that i'm going to miss things just because i haven't read it first but i think however many times you read something it, nothing is ever quite the same as the first time you read a book i'm sure you know mm. what it's like that moment when there's a particular kind of electricity when you're discovering a voice and a plot and a dialogue and what's happening in a scene and what how is it going to end um and i love doing my first draft um in that at, at some speed my first draft terrible um but they're quick and they're done at that speed partly because i'm i'm driven to keep going because i want to know you know do they die at the end? You know, I'm, I'm driven by voice and by plot and by the same thing that drives any other reader in, yes. that, in that, first, that first hit. Yes, and I guess that's that sort of instinctive capturing of it. It's probably quite important. So how hard is it to carve out a career as a translator? I mean, if I was going to start my career now, say, would I be better off acquiring an unusual language or is there steady work in languages like French, which is the only language that I have to any any degree of flu fluency and um, how tricky is it? There isn't really steady work in, in any language. Uh, on the whole, the languages for which there is the most demand from publishers, which is to say, you know, French, Spanish and German, for example, those are also the languages in which there is the most supply because there are far more people who are able to translate from French than translate from other languages. And so there is always a there's always a kind of a bottleneck because the the number of people wanting to become translators is growing and that's really exciting, but the amount of demand from publishers is not uh, increasing at the same pace. Um, we're still publishing uh, in the UK and across the English speaking world very very small numbers of books, even from those more translated languages like French, um, and there simply isn't enough work for for kind of to to go around for the people who want to be doing it, even in those even in those big languages. And so one of the things that makes it quite hard to, to make a career as a translator is um, is not that the work itself is badly paid necessarily. It's not that the work is difficult, or though, of course, it can be. Um, it's just that it simply isn't enough. Uh, if you're going to make a living, you need to be doing four or five books a year. And if there aren't four or five books a year, it's very hard to do, which is one of the reasons why a lot of people who do the, the kind of translation I do, which is books mostly, are also doing other kinds of translation, are also doing other kinds of writing. They have this kind of portfolio career, um, which a lot of us recognise in which translation is one part of it. Because even if you are lucky enough to get one or two books a year from publishers, which is which is a fairly nice position to be in, that's nowhere, that's going to be nowhere near what you need to sustain a kind of a mortgage, let alone anything else. 
This might be quite a good place to mention that actually ALCS is currently holding uh, about a quarter of a million pounds in funds for translators uh, who've yet to join ALCS. So anyone listening to this who's done any translation work and isn't a member of ALCS, it might well be worth becoming one. Um, it's really worth mentioning that, I think, because there are organisations like ALCS that really support translators through actually dispersing funds, but also through supporting other programmes. Um, but I think a lot of translators don't necessarily realise they're eligible in the way that any other writer is. I think there are a lot of translators who haven't signed up for, for PLR, for public lending right, for which they are, again, eligible, just like uh, any other writer is. Um, and I think translators need to be reminded occasionally that, that all those things that are available to support the writing profession, those things include us as well. Well, so famously, the UK has long been regarded as an insular place where we, we don't much like to read translated books. Um, but my, my impression certainly is that things have changed for the better in the past few years. There are more indie publishers who've got focus on bringing new authors to print in English translation. Fitzcarraldo, Pushkin Press, Europa Editions, who publish Elena Ferrante. Uh, there's the International Booker Prize. And of course, ALCS is a sponsor of the Society of Authors Translation Prizes, which include the TA First Translation Prize for a debut translation, which you yourself established. So are you, are you more optimistic about us consuming more works in translation? I am more optimistic. I think that a lot of good things have been happening the last five, ten years, as you, as you mentioned. Um, I think there is still some resistance, but I think the resistance is partly because Publishing, in any case, is not getting easier. We're still publishing far too many books. Getting books discovered, whether it's translation or not, is not getting any easier either. Um, so I think a lot of the problems we face are not problems that are, that are unique to international writing and translation. I think the publishing is very squeezed in lots of ways. And it's not surprising that a lot of the interesting stuff is being done by the, the, the independent publishers, the smaller publishers, including the ones that you mentioned. Um, th there are lots of things that make me optimistic and certainly the fact that we are publishing more and the fact that the things that we are publishing are selling better is reassuring. Um, like anyone in this profession, the, the changes feels too slow for me, but, it, but that's inevitable because I'm in a hurry. Um, but yes, I think, I think the difference even in the last five years is quite considerable. And things you mentioned like the, like the, the new Booker, the Booker International, make a huge difference to to public perceptions of, of, of kind of normalising translation. I think that's right. Um, I mean, I do a lot of previewing of books and uh, when they are in translation, I'm always looking to find find who the translator is. And sometimes you have to, you have to um, look quite carefully in order to find that information. So I, I personally think translators do still need greater recognition. And in, in fact, there, there's a new campaign, isn't there? launched by the Society of Authors, Translators on the Cover, um, which uh, many translators and writers have, have signed that um, sort of petition. So, um, and I, I also rem remember I went to a seminar at the London Book Fair a few years ago, which I think even you might have chaired. And one of the speakers said something amazing about how a successful translation is a, um, a work of art that's happened collaboratively. Uh, and that you didn't have to divide the writer from the translator, that, it, that, that reading a translated book is like listening to a symphony in terms of what's gone into it. So I've never forgotten that. It's easy, I suppose, when you're reading a translation to think that you can tell what is what is who, as it were. You know, read this and think, well, probably there's something wrong here. It's probably the translation or there's something I really love. It's probably the translation. And actually, it is quite hard to, to separate them often. Um, I think of it as being slightly like... 
a, you know, a, a collaborative novel in which someone else did the first dozen drafts and then passed it on to me and I, I, I did the next slot, you know, did the next handful of drafts. And there's a, there's a significant shift between draft 12 and 13 because all of the words change into a different language. But it feels like it is a kind of evolving of, of, a, of a single piece of, uh, a single work of art, a single piece of work that two people have collaborated on. And so I think this sense that uh, one of the things I love about the, the International Booker is that the translator and the writer are both credited equally. It's not, you know, this is a prize for the, the, the writer and we sort of apologetically say it's, it's a bit translated, but, you know, you wouldn't even notice. Or conversely, a prize for a translator and we kind of somehow fetishize the specialness of translation, which I think is also not terribly helpful to anyone. But the idea that it's a collaboration, an odd collaboration, and uh, and often a collaboration that happens in, in series rather than in parallel. But I think that's the right way to think about it. Yeah, and your contribution is indisputable. So, which is why you know it seems completely normal that you you're, you're acknowledged alongside. Um, so, there's also a strong connection between translation and, and free expression. And I know that you're on the board of English Pen. Um, will you tell us something about that? Yes, I've been on the board of English Pen for for many years. I'm coming to the end of my time, which I'll be very sad to to, to leave them. Um, one of the things that's been really interesting in English Pen over the last few years is the development of translation um, as part of the as part of the kind of portfolio of work they do. Because actually, if you think about the the, the remit of English Pen being to promote the ability for writers to write and readers to read, translation is often essential to making books available. It, just just being able to write something but not being able to reach your readers um, is, not, is not adequate. And so English Pen have had a translation program supporting the publication of translations and various other things, but it's really nicely kind of tied into their whole, uh, the whole kind of uh, campaigning they do, the whole public events program they do, and all these things um, which are part of this kind of valuing and championing the freedom to write and the freedom to read. Translation shouldn't be a, a weird kind of side program to that. Translation is about enabling writers to find readers and readers to find books. So what are you working on now? Can we, can we know? I'm translating a brilliant uh, Angolan novel by a writer called Calafe Palanga, who's a musician uh, who's written uh, his debut novel in Portuguese, which I'm doing for uh, Faber. I also have, as is always the way when you're working um, in publishing, because the lead time is so long, you know, you finish a book and you send it to the publisher and then you think it's over. And then, of course, there is a year of edits and then more edits and then copy edits and then proofs and then jacket designs and then whatnot. It means that um, there are always kind of seven or eight books that are still sort of alive and kind of popping back into your inbox every once in a while. So the Calafe Palanga book is the one that is that is live now and I'm translating it now. But I have first proofs of uh, a Gonzalo Tavares diary and I have final proofs of a Diamela Eltit novel and I have finished copies of a French picture book coming this week. So there are things in various stages of um, finishedness or or chaos that pop up. I kind of think of it like kind of zombies that you think you've you think you've got got rid of them and then suddenly there's another wretched proof that shows up on your <laughs> on your desk. But the um, process is, I mean, even the process that you're describing there, I mean, it just shows that you're an integral part of it because it, that's that's what, what authors get, don't they? They get copy edits and they get proofs and, and all of that. It's the same. Sure. I think, same and, and I think that's absolutely right. I think it, that's important that translators, we, we don't just sort of, you know, emerge from our cupboard under the stairs, do a piece of work and then disappear into the shadows again. I think we're often involved with the acquisition. We're often involved with the selection of the book. We'll do the translation itself, of course, but we're involved in the editorial process right through to the end and often also involved in the, the promotion of the book. A lot of the time, the books that I'm working on will be by an author who maybe 
maybe has, has been dead for 100 years or is alive but on the other side of the world or maybe doesn't speak English. So often the, the, the part of the, the promotional kind of burden falls on the translator as well. So as you say, just like a writer, often we're involved from, from pre-acquisition right up until you know, we finally do your last interview about the paperback and then can finally shut up about it. Well, I really think I have to read the Angolan novel, the novel from Angola they've translated because I've never read a writer from Angola. And this is what translation does. It, it makes those things accessible to us. Daniel, That's thank that. you so much for being a guest here on Authors Matters. Great thank you so much. You. Lovely talking to you. We aim to reflect the views of a wide variety of authors on our podcast, but their views are, of course, their own. Check out more episodes of Authors Matters wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening and please join us next time. Goodbye.